How's your pad going, huh? You filling this out? All right. This has been great for me. Of course, I started last week uh, on Wednesday night. And uh, even if you uh, have trouble coming up with a a plan or uh, articulating things, just start using it as a journal. You know, what's going on, what's happening, what are your thoughts, um, who you've been praying for. And I guarantee you, if we can take our attention off of the peripheral things of our lives and just focus on what, is, what does the Lord want? What does He want in my life? What does He want me to focus on in relation to my family and to other people? But if you didn't get one of these over the last week, um, we've got plenty of them. And if you've already filled one out, just come and get an extra one. You've already been riding away. Um, we're four days into 2017, and I'm going to take you to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 here in just a moment, if you want to turn there. I hope that you are writing things down, though. If anything, you know, just start making a habit of, of putting your thoughts down on paper. Um, what's the purpose of your day? What do, you, what, do you need, what do you need to do that day? And maybe it could be a a combination of journal and to-do list. Um, but what I'm speaking about tonight is, is about intent, something very intentional. And uh, allow me just a few minutes to speak about what is God's intent. What is, what is the most important thing God is about? I was listening to a man, Dr. Hugh Ross, who's... Uh, has a Ph.D. in astrophysics from the University of Toronto. He's Canadian. Um, I think now he's, um, well, he might still be living in Canada, but a brilliant man. He um, did an undergraduate degree in physics from another uh, university. And his website is Reasons to Believe, if you want to connect with Dr. Ross. Um, You know, I, I don't agree with everything he said, but, you know, I don't know how old the earth is. Does anybody here know how old the earth is? You know, you know there's this great debate between a new earth and an old earth. And uh, I kind of rubbed some people the wrong way at that Genesis and science thing I was at. And it says, well, are you a new earth? I said, I, I, what do you mean new earth? I said, I don't know how old the earth is and I don't care. So that really... <laughs> That really encouraged them. I said, why should I debate how old the earth is? Who knows how old it is? I said, all I know is that God's got a plan for the people who walk this planet. And that plan is an important plan. So I was like, can we just calm down a little bit? But Dr. Ross, you know, I think the Lord has taken me on a journey. Uh, Probably Max Russer, my charismatic Catholic friend that just... I think he helped me early on to break out of the box that I was in in a little church in Childersburg, Alabama, and everything was just so orderly. And he just kind of like busted some of the walls out of my box. And so, you know, while Hugh Ross said some things, I said, well, I don't know about that. But he said some powerful things about, he, he did a study on creation in the Bible. Committed believer. And he said three years, he, he just went and he realized there was a definite link between the doctrine of creation 
Now, he doesn't believe in evolution or anything like that. He said there's a, there's a definite link between the doctrine of creation and God's doctrine of redemption. He said redemption was always linked. God's purpose in creation was always linked. And he said something that I hadn't heard it put that way, but it, it triggered something in my mind. He said, before God created anything, he was already working on redemption. Does any verse pop into your mind that, what pops into your mind? The foundation of the world. The lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. That before God created any matter, and all of that that he created was to put together this living, this planet is the only planet. You know, Dr. Ross is a genius, but this planet is the only thing in the entire universe that could sustain seven billion people. And God created it for one reason, for us to know him, for him to redeem us. His redemption is the whole plan. That's his intent from the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. So God created Adam and Eve from the very first person. He, he formed from a, a clay form, breathed into him life. He became a living soul, took a rib out of him, made Eve, and there they go. And even before they encountered the serpent, God already knew. It didn't mean to just be careful with foreknowledge and predestination. Just because God knows something doesn't mean he caused it to be. Are you following me? So he's not the cause agent, but he knew exactly what was going to happen in that garden. And before he made the ecosystems to support the two human beings he was going to create and, and say multiply and replenish the earth, before he created all that, he knew they would crash and burn in the garden. So he already had a plan. And it's kind of interesting when he is coming down and he's, and he's calling, Adam, where are you? How many of us in this room knew, uh, would say that he knew where he was at? <laughs> and he knew what was going on. He saw what was going on. He knew, they were, he knew and he witnessed what they were doing. He wanted them, in a way, to take the first steps of repentance and own up to what they were, had done. And so there was a lesson in repentance that he was trying to teach them. So you hear so much about the last days, about the year of Shemitah, the coming economic collapse, the four blood moons. You know, I'm not making fun of any of that, but I'm just telling you, people get caught up in that. They get caught up in who is the Antichrist. And don't take the mark of the beast and, and, uh, and all these things. Can I just say that we should be paying more attention to the Christ, the son of the living God, than whoever the Antichrist is going to be? And if our focus, if we take our focus and put it on the redemptive work that God is doing, eschatology is a great study. I love to study it. And I love Revelation. I love Daniel. I love Matthew 24. I love probing into all of that. And I believe that, you know, like Jonathan Kahn, Rabbi Kahn, I thought just hit the nail on the head on the harbinger. I don't know much about the year of Shemitah, but I know a lot of people thought that, that they would have no, banks would stop working Last October, did you know that? You didn't get that memo? That you wouldn't be able to get your money out of, your, out of the bank last October? Well, that's, you know, maybe they're not selling that book as good right now. 
But we need, we need the last days. The last days is a good study. But what about today? What about our purpose today? This is why this little pad, I think, is, is just, um, I believe, a tool of the Lord to help us focus on what we have at hand. Who knows what's going to happen this year or next year? But we are very much involved in what's happening today and what's going to happen tomorrow. So I want to speak to you about developing and maintaining, and this is a word, a salvific mindset. And if you're having trouble spelling it, here's the graphic. Salvific mindset. It is a word. Salvific relates to or leads to salvation. It's about having a salvation intent. Mindset is an established set of attitudes held by someone. So if we develop and maintain a salvific mindset, what does that say about us? It means that we become a soul winner and not just simply do soul winning. Because if soul winning is simply an activity that we engage in every now and then, then we don't have a salvific mindset. When we see someone, God help us to think, where are they heading at eternally? Are, are they ready to meet the Lord? Do they, have they surrendered their life to Christ? And people ask, ask me to pray for someone in the hospital that I don't know. And, and I, one of the things I ask, if they don't tell me, is are they, are they a believer? Are they saved? Because whatever's put them in the hospital, that's not the most important thing. The most important thing is that they know the Lord. And so we're going to talk about how to have and develop a salvific mindset and to turn our attention to God's purpose. And God's purpose is salvation. God's purpose is redemption. So I'm going to take you to the... Uh, first of all, I'm going to take you to... Let's go to Second Peter, and then we'll come back to Second Corinthians. So if you've already found Second Corinthians 5, just stay there. But uh, turn over to, to Peter's last epistle and the last chapter division in that letter that Peter is writing to believers who are scattered about. Love this, love this uh, last chapter. The whole chapter is good. I'm not going to read the whole chapter. But I'm going to read a portion that gives us clear indication what is God's mindset. What is his intent? What is his purpose? Um, pick it up in verse 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting Anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? And I could answer, give you one answer. A salvific mindset people. That's what we ought to be. You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. An interesting um, directive there that we actually can have an effect on 
when the Lord comes by just the promoting of the gospel. Speed it's coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we're looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. The ultimate purpose of God, and Hugh Ross really explains this wonderfully, is for God to bring us into his redemption and before that redemption is finalized, to bring us into a state of eternal righteousness where there's no evil and there will never ever again be the possibility of evil. We will have a free will that is, that is encapsulated with the presence and power of God so that we will be worshipers of the living God throughout all the ages. And it's, a, it's an environment where evil is not even a thought or a possibility. I could look forward to that. Just no arguing. So, here's the ultimate purpose of God. Verse 9. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. The uh, New American Standard translates it this way, which New American Standard and King James are, are probably as close to the original, you know, translation of the words, the Greek words. But New American Standard uh, renders it this way. The Lord is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. And there's some interesting words here. I want to take you through some of them. The word not willing. The word willing is bulumai. B-O-U-L-O-M-A-I. Bulumai. And it means, in a positive sense, it means to be deliberate, to, uh, to have a purpose, to desire, to want. Now put this in the negative. God does not want anyone to be lost. Or perish. God's intent. And doesn't this kind of take you back to John 3.16. For God so loved the world. That he gave his only begotten son. That whoever believes in him. Should not perish. There's, there's the rescue. Should not perish. Should not be lost forever. God doesn't want anybody to be lost. And we can gauge people and say people like Hitler and people like him deserve hell, right? But what about the rest of us? Well, we might say, well, we we deserve it kind of, but not like him. He just deserved it more. But remember this, God says in his word that he takes no pleasure in the death of of the wicked. He didn't create people to be lost. He didn't create anyone to be lost. He so loved this broken world that he gave his only son so that people would not perish but have everlasting life. So it's, he's not willing. Peter kind of like re- repeats John three sixteen here. He's not willing. But look at this. But that all would make their way to repentance. This is God's mindset. No, he doesn't want them to be lost. What does he want them to do? He wants them to make their way to repentance. 
He wants all people to come to repentance. So it's kind of like predestination and some people are just lost because God determined for them to be lost. It's kind of like it doesn't fit into that mindset, does it? How many, how many people did Jesus die for? <clears throat> Everybody, right? All people. He died for all the sins of the whole world. So he's not, he's not wanting people to be lost, but they, they would come to repentance. And as we, you know, we, we, we're marching toward February 26th, the last Sunday in February, we relaunch our outreach, and we're really excited about that. I'm sharing this tonight because I want us here in January to start developing a salvific mindset. That whoever's waiting on us, that you think, I wonder if they're a believer. Whoever you just find yourself engaged in a conversation, I wonder if they know the Lord. I wonder if something happened today, if they would be lost forever. I wonder if God doesn't want them to be lost. Or do I have to wonder that? That's one thing I don't have to wonder. That he's not willing for them to be lost, to be per- to perish, but to come to repentance. And look at this word repentance. It literally means to change one's mind. <laughs> it's the same word. It's not used that many times in the New Testament. It's the same word that Jesus said, repent. Change how you think, people. Turn around. For right in front of you is the arrival of the kingdom of heaven. Isn't that what he was saying? He didn't say it in those words, but he says the kingdom of heaven is in front of you. It's at hand. So your response to it should be to change your direction. Change how you think. Repent. And this is what Jesus was preaching. Change your minds. Right here, right now, because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You remember Jesus saying something like this in Matthew 12, verse 41? He said, the, the people of Nineveh will stand up with this generation at the judgment and will condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. But behold, you remember how he put it? Something greater than Jonah is here. The Son of God is preaching repentance. If a city, a pagan capital of, a, of your absolute greatest enemy, it'd be like Moscow, you know, repenting. You know, he sent Jonah into the teeth of his, of his enemy nation, right into Nineveh, and they heard him and repented. And he says, they might rise up and judge this generation, Jesus says, because I'm here and y'all not repenting. He said that might come to repentance. The word there is choreo, C-H-O-R-E-L. Great word. You know, we just think like that, that's just, you arrive at repenting. You just get there. Do you know the word actually means to make space for something? To open so that something can enter in. He says, open your souls toward repentance. Open so that you have space to repent, space to change how you look at things. 
Everything God has done, everything God has done from the very first mortals that was on this planet was with the purpose that they would know him and that they would have redemption, that they would be saved. I asked Pastor Thomas yesterday, he and I um, preached Jimmy Watson's memorial service yesterday. And I love Herb Thomas. He's been at Circlewood Baptist Church since 1979. 1979. And they got pictures of all the pastors right there in the hallway, right there. Beautiful sanctuary, new sanctuary. And, uh, and I got to look. The first pastor was from like 1950 to 1952 and, and like 52 to like 56 and, and like two to five years, two, four, five years Every one of them until it gets to his picture, and it's 1979. And I go back and, and I look at that, and I says, what did he do? <laughs> and I ask him, I said, what happened? He says, um, people just, I, I just, he said, they voted every year on me. I said, wow. <laughs> they don't do that anymore. He's in his 70s and still, but we was talking about, you know, death and people sitting there and he preached a great message at Dickie Hoagland's, Tanya Drain's dad's funeral just a few weeks ago right in the same church. And I was talking to him and he led Dickie Hoagland to the Lord a couple of weeks before he, you know, his family, especially Tanya was, I tried to connect with him, but uh, something was always interfering with me getting to see him or when I did go and see him, he was not able to talk. He was kind of like, um, not a comatose, but just was resting. But he led him to the Lord. And we was talking about how hard people make it to accept Jesus. And in that conversation before the service started, he and I was just in the back talking. I says, think about Jesus going through the horrific torture that night. What they did to him all night long, even before he got to the crucifixion scene. And then he would die this horrific, lonely death between heaven and earth. I said, do you think that he did all that so it would be difficult for people to get saved? And and I think sometimes we need a salvific mindset in that... You know, I thought it was going to be like a miracle for the Lord to save my brother. And he showed me like it wasn't that big of a deal. I thought it was going to be like major, major, something like angels came down and just, you know, beat the stew out of him and he got saved. <laughs> you know, that's the only way he was going to subdue that guy. And it was like he knelt in his kitchen because he was depressed. I said, my brother depressed? I can't imagine him. But he was internally, he was, he was dying. And he reached out to God and God saved him like that. And all that time, you know, all that Johnny needed to know is that it's not that hard. God does the hard work. He just stands at the door and knock. He does the saving he does the redemption. Every, every one of us that have been saved, it's, we're all walking miracles, by the way, that he saved us and redeemed us. For God so loved the world. Let me take you now to 2 Corinthians 5, and I'll finish up with this. 
Why should we have a salvific mindset? Why should it be such an important thing for us to have a salvation mindset in everyday life? Well, I think the best missionary, the leading missionary of the early church is about to tell you. A converted antagonist, Saul of Tarsus. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I love this chapter. Verse 18 is where I'm going to read from. Now all things are of God. All things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation, has given to us a salvific mindset. And that is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself not imputing their trespasses to them, not holding them accountable for what they've done. Instead, he put it on his son. We see this in just a moment. And has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors. We're representatives of Christ as though God was pleading through us. We employ you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Reconciliation. This word is not found very often in the Bible, and it's it's, it's just loaded up in this passage. It actually means to exchange, to reconcile. Let me give it to you. When you uh, balance your checkbook, you reconcile what one record says with the other, right? Well, this is the idea. God is holy and righteous, and we're over here and we're not, but he reconciles the two ledgers. And he takes his assets, puts them onto our ledger, and removes our deficits, our sin. So there is this great exchange that's going on. He was made to be sin who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. God was in Christ on the cross, reconciling the world to Himself. It is almost, if you think about it, it, He's already done this. It just needs to be activated in people. Salvation is a finished work, is it not? When He said it is finished. So salvation is a finished work We're not called to do the work of reconciliation. That's God's work. But we are called to do the ministry of reconciliation, meaning we are the voice of that truth. Isn't that what he says? He has given to us the word of reconciliation. Let me take you to one more passage and we'll finish up. We are here to announce the redemptive work of God on his behalf to people. I want to tell you, I just want you to get ready to lead someone to the Lord. I want you to just get ready to lead someone to the Lord. Because I believe the Holy Spirit is tossing a net out there right now by his work in people's lives, getting them ready 
for those who have the ministry of reconciliation to finish it. To let them know this is their moment. This is the hour of their salvation. This is their time of salvation. I love these opening words to the second chapter in 1 John. My little children, I write these words to you that you sin not. But if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is a propitiation of our sins. If you're in a different translation, it probably has atoning sacrifice, right? He's the satisfaction of God's requirement for our sins. And not only for our sins, I love this. But what's the scope of that? Whole world. So let me ask you this. Is sin the problem in people's lives? You know, my little world growing up in Harpersville was if you smoked, you was lost. You couldn't be a Christian and smoke cigarettes. That was my mindset. When I'm supposed to drink. I do remember the first time I saw beer in person. It was in Cincinnati. And my dad had taken me and my brother, I was probably about nine, up to Cincinnati to see the Cincinnati Reds and Milwaukee Braves play in the 60s. And we went to eat in this restaurant. And I looked over and I saw the bottles. <laughs> I, I, I still remember that. I said, Beer? Wow. Those people are really bad people. <laughs> but that's, isn't that what we can somehow think about people because they're doing something? We're like, oh, that's their problem. No, that's not. Sin is not the problem. Jesus has paid for their sin. So what's the problem? What's the problem? Well, it could be ignorance, but what, what's, what's missing? Faith, it's, they just need to believe on Jesus. It's, it's repentance. We say, well, you've got to repent of your sin. The sin has already been paid for. The repentance is changing your mind about how you're living your life. But it is only effective when people believe that Jesus is the answer to their life. And so when they believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, does it matter what they've been doing? It doesn't matter how deep in the sin anyone has been. No. The only thing that matters is they got the remedy. <laughs> the Gospel Project has come out, and, and of course, they, they titled their series, The Rescue. That in the New Testament is the rescue that God planned in the Old Testament that was finally set in the motion through the death and resurrection of Jesus. That through his death and resurrection... The plan of salvation was finished. And all people have to do is receive the free gift of God. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So people can't earn it. They just have to receive it. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Um, Pastor Thomas told me that, told me this story behind these two young men who uh, were Muslim teenagers, 15, 13, and um, their, um, their mother deserted them. Their father was killed in, in an accident. And so the grandparents attending Circlewood got them and was, was you know, taking care of them. But the mother found out that they were, she had moved out to Oregon and found out they were going to church with the grandparents. This was the husband's parents. And told him, whatever you do, don't get baptized. But both of those guys have come to know Jesus and accepted Jesus. See, God's purpose for them all along was for them to know him and to know the reality of who Jesus is. Let's that's, that's not back away from sharing Jesus. Somebody might like react to us and we just have to have wisdom there not to press it when that happens. You know, I'm, I'm still praying for two Muslim men that I, I consider friends. They might not consider me a friend, but, you know, I'm, I'm on a friendly basis with them at this point. But I pray for them. I pray for Jesus, Isa, to reveal himself to them, to come to them in their dreams, to reveal the, who he really is. And then he loves them and he died for them. And he, and he doesn't want them to be lost. But isn't that true about anybody? The people you work with, they don't have to have any kind of other religion or anything, occultic thing. You know, no matter who they are, he's not willing for them to perish, but to have eternal life. And so remember, it's not the clergy that have been given the ministry of reconciliation. It's all of us. All of us have been given this. So here's what I just, you know, write down on your pad, I want a salvific mindset. I want God to develop in me a mindset that I'm thinking about eter- people's eternal destiny. Next Sunday, there's a, um, I forget what they call it, a, an event. Is it a, a fandom event when they have a single event at the movie theaters? I don't know if you've heard about the Bobby Bowden story. Have anybody else heard about that? Um, it tracks his journey and... Um, and I saw the trailer to it, and I was like, I really would like to go see that. But uh, he, sa- he makes a statement. He said, I was always concerned about all my players, about where they would spend eternity. I, wa- I wanted all of them. And, ha- and he created such an atmosphere of concern for them. It just didn't develop a, a pretty close team. It developed a very good team while he was a coach at Florida State, a place that was historically a losing place. But he, he had the mindset that I just didn't want to have a good team. I wanted these guys to know the Lord. I wanted in some way if I could influence them to know the Lord. That's what I'm talking about. No matter where you're at, just when the door opens, Lord, I want to have a salvific mindset that if in a conversation... Somebody starts telling me about their troubles and their woes that I realize that that's not their biggest issue. Their biggest need is if you come into the situation, it all changes. It's like the, the details might not change, but how they see it would change, right? How they feel about it would change. So would you stay, stand with me? And I want us to just close tonight 
by just saying to the Lord, Lord, I'm, even if you're not one to just talk to anybody, and I don't even know what happened to me because I didn't like to talk to anybody, but I just, I just love to talk to people, especially one-on-one. When I talk to them about who, where they're from, what their social security number is, and stuff like that. No, no. Um, you know, did you grow up in Alabama? Oh, it's too bad. I'm so sorry. It's a great place. But as I find out more about them, I want somehow to lead into well, what can I pray for you about? I'd love to pray for you today. And God has opened so many doors for me. And still praying for some people. But I want, I want to pray over you that God would just create such a desire in you to have a salvation mindset, a salvific mindset. Lord,